Hello and welcome to the PropTech Hot Seat on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we explore trends and technologies driving innovation across the built environment, brought to you in partnership with PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and indeed industry leaders. In the PropTech Hot Seat today, we have Bonnie Murray, founder of Raccord. Raccord is a tool created for real estate investment and asset management professionals that distills complicated Excel models and integrates disparate data sources into one location, allowing for real-time portfolio analysis at your fingertips. That's a tall order. Bonnie, you're <laughs> very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me this morning, Carol. I really appreciate it. I am delighted. and I, I was so excited to chat to you about this. Um, so tell me, from your own background, how did you come to set up Raccord? That's a great question. Um, Carol, I spent 15 years in the public markets. Um, you know, I started my, my career as in, at a tech-focused hedge fund. I was an equity trader during the global financial crisis, which, as you can imagine, I have many more wounds I could share from that experience. Uh, I worked at a private investment bank bringing our product over to Europe. And really what I leveraged from that experience was the availability and transparency of data through Bloomberg every day. And I just assumed the rest of the investment world operated at that level of efficiency. After having my second son, I pivoted and recognized I needed some more homework balance and started working for a private equity firm where we bought multifamily assets from Boston down to Northern Virginia. You know, what, I, what was quickly apparent after moving into commercial real estate was this lack of technological adoption and interoperability across systems. So I spent the, the next five years um, at that firm. And, you know, fast forward during COVID, I'm home teaching my two children, watching my husband work off of his Bloomberg as if nothing had ever happened. And here I was, you know, um, relegated to the corner on my iPad, and it took me three Excel models, two PDFs, and a call into my analyst to extract five KPIs that I needed for an investor call. And it was really in that moment that I thought to myself, how is it the world's largest asset class doesn't have access to their data? Um, so I left my firm in 2021 to start Record. Record means connection in French. Uh, and at that time, I took a high-level overview that the world was never going back to an office five days a week teams were forever going to be geographically dispersed. And thus I wanted to build a technology that really broke down the barriers of in and out of the office. So we built um, a mobile first technology and we went mobile first because the reality is, you know, every interaction we have is mediated through a smartphone and every service provided is done through software. So um, we're a mobile first technology that distills, as you mentioned, complex Excel models um, and collates disparate data sources from internal business intelligence at these large um, organizations and pulls it into their phone to really help them understand the story that their data is telling them. Have we improved? So, um, so I, I absolutely take your perspective here coming from kind of the financial services, then you can see that real estate was not doing this well. Um, but I, I suppose anybody who's been in the industry for a decade or longer will say, well, actually, we're doing an, an awful lot better than we were doing it a, a decade ago. But are you seeing an improvement? Um, and, and if so, what's driving that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that just naturally um, the introduction of more and more tools that exist to help kind of drive efficiency and workflows has been great, as you can imagine, you know, um, AI has, has really pushed some productivity um, and automation through this industry. PropTech has really had um, an amazing decade, I guess, of progress, which has been great to see. But nonetheless, I would say that it's still, you know, it's still an industry that's ripe for disruption. And so we're super excited to be a part of the PropTech community. Um, and we're really excited to, to build solutions for our customers that really do drive um, efficiency and save critical time in their workflows. 
Um, Bonnie, the, the automation and predictability, they're, they're really good words. We know there are things that the industry needs and wants, but we are in, I, I don't want to say unprecedentedly unpredictable times, but there, I mean, certainly across Europe, we are living through some lifetime unpredictable uh, unpredictability. So how do you account for that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always said that disruption is a catalyst for change. I mean, if you look at you know, what came out of 0809, some of the most disruptive technologies of modern time were born during those times. Um, you know, it's Uber and Spotify and Square um, and the list goes on. And so, you know, I think this is actually a great moment in time where it forces people to kind of reset and take a look at things that aren't working um, and introduce things that can really drive that type of efficiency and automation. You know, um, not just across kind of the real estate and construction side, but particularly on the prop tech side, we're always looking at what the drivers are, what are the drives are changing. You know, we talk about regulation, but they don't tend to, you know, they tend to be the slowest of the drivers. Um, <laughs> and actually what we saw, you know, in, in early 2020 was a necessity. COVID actually became a huge driver, uh, but it really it normalized some of the it normalized some of the the actions that real estate real estate operators should have been taking you know they they've been collecting data for years but they were never doing anything they weren't taking the insights so in a way the industry was being primed for a, a business like record to come in because actually if you had done that 10 years earlier there wasn't even the data for you to collect so um, where are you in terms of gathering the sources that you can actually help turn those into insights? Is there an, enough data being collected? There's absolutely enough data. It's the technologies that help, you know, um, our customers really draw insights and inferences from those large amounts of unstructured data sets is really where the value is being driven. I mean, I think McKinsey put out a study that said, you know, roughly 70 to 80 percent you know, of data that that exists internally isn't being utilized. And, and frankly, that's why we built the tools we've built is to help our customers truly understand the story that that data is telling them because they're not set up to actually leverage um, all of the raw data that exists internally at the moment. So our tool basically collates and brings together all of this business intelligence and then distills that down into only the essential metrics that are actually driving the decision making on a day to day basis. Um, so that, you know, record can structure that data so it can be understood. Um, in terms of the essential metrics, that in itself has changed. So in 2023, what do portfolio owners consider to be the essential, uh, the essential metrics that are required for decision making? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question. What I would say is, is, you know, the KPIs from one asset class to the next naturally can change, right? So for hospitality, they're really focused on RevPAR, occupancy and ADR, um, obviously, in the resi space, people are really solely focused on cash on cash and obviously NOI progression, yield on cost. So, you know, I think one thing that makes us unique is that we've spent a considerable amount of time in the early days with beta testers across, across each of the asset classes to really understand what is driving their, their decision making on a day to day basis so that we can, in fact, pull that data into the mobile application. And then obviously, you know, drawing insights from that from that data. Um, you know, previously we would have been, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me, by the way, to hear that 70 to 80 percent of the data being collected was being used because that absolutely tallies with what we've seen as people started to collect the data because there was a growing awareness data was important. There just didn't seem to be the ability to turn that into insight. So, you know, it, it's fantastic that that's being focused on now. But some of the other changes we're seeing in terms of cultural changes are around 
uh, the tenant experience, whether it's for residential or commercial. It's around this sense of community, which previously has been considered quite intangible, but there are a number of metrics coming in now to, to ensure that um, the user experience of real estate is being focused on. And that wasn't the case a decade ago, um, but mm. it's quite an intangible. So if you're looking at metrics in terms of, you know, if we look at, say, um, across across um, our sustainability metrics, you know, they've become very defined. But mm. across community, is there a business case? Is there a metric that you're applying for um, tenant satisfaction, whether it's commercial or residential? Are these metrics that are even figuring into the decision making of portfolio owners right now? I think it's one data point that's important across, you know, a plethora of data. We're really focused on the investment level information. So the property level data naturally feeds into these master models and the master models are the source of truth that we're extracting these KPIs from. What I would say is, is with regards to, you know, tenant satisfaction surveys, I think are really important. People are focused on. Um, and so for us, you know, so long as they sit within this master model and you had also mentioned ESG metrics, and this is something we're really trying to push forward here in the U.S. is, you know, there's some great companies out there that are starting to collate this information naturally. You know, this is a, a prescient issue that everyone needs to pay attention to where 40 percent of CO2 emissions um, come from the built world. And so there's a lot of great companies that are solutioning around that. One thing I would say is, is, you know, we've been challenged to find those metrics living within the Excel model, living within the underwriting models that are driving the investment decisions. So I'm really looking forward to the change that we can that can be affected within um, the commercial real estate space um, to push forward more kind of ESG and sustainability um, compliance. And um, if we break down ESG, would it be fair to say that the E is probably coming top on the essential metrics? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, listen, I think, um, you know, the S and um, and more so the G these days as well. I think everyone's really focused um, on this, you know, really critical, um, you know, matter at the moment. And as I mentioned, you know, there's things like here in the U.S., we have lead certification, there's Gresby scores, there's an amazing company called Measurable that's done um, a wonderful job at collating this information. So, I think there's a lot of really, really smart people solutioning around that. And we're looking forward to working closely with them to bring that information into the app. Um, well, then let, let's break that down into maybe where this factors into the uh, investment decision. So, for example, in Ireland, we've seen that um, early industry leaders tend to, while there are a number of different certifications, Gresby is already emerging maybe as as the leading uh, standard, you know, similarly around uh uh, lead standard buildings, you know, we can see that already these have gone from being kind of the premium, something that makes them best to actually uh, fundamental that a company won't choose a headquarters unless it is lead certified. So, you know, we're certainly moving from a place where these were the premium or best in class to really the standard that we need to be achieving. So in terms of the investment decisions, are we getting to the point where, um, investment decisions are coming down to okay well if a building is not of a certain standard or can't show that the building performance is x we cannot we cannot uh, allocate resources in that direction absolutely i mean i think that you know th these initiatives are not only be dri being driven by the owner operators but they're also being driven by the, the the underlying capital base of these organizations as you know oftentimes are sourced from foundations and family offices um, and endowments and i think naturally you know 
<clears throat> that capital base is forcing through these types of um, this, these types of changes. And I think it's really exciting to see this transition happening within uh, within the commercial real estate space. Bonnie, who are your typical clients? You know, at what stage of the transaction are you coming in? Who are you advising? Yeah, so really, you know, the investment management and the asset management teams internally at these owner operators. And, you know, our uh, application is really applicable for small organizations that are looking to do more with less, um, all the way up to the large global organizations that are really looking for um, organization within their large amounts of unstructured data. Okay. And just in terms of the role of technology, is technology as fundamental for unlocking the data? Because I know it's the mechanism, but is, you know, again, as we've mentioned there, it's not necessarily the driver, it's just enabling uh, the driver. But how do you see that changing then in the future? You know, obviously with, with record, what you're doing um, is hugely ambitious and, and it's absolutely the right time in the marketplace. And again, you know, 10 years previously, you wouldn't have had the data to be able to pull those insights. So it feels very timely, but where do you go to next? What's, what's kind of the long-term objective and what's the role of technology in that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think AI is really what everyone will be focused on, right? And, and the, the value of AI is, you know, it identifies non-linear patterns in large amounts of data, um, that's just not available during, you know, for a typical human being to do on their own. I think allowing AI to drive a more comprehensive analysis um, across portfolios, I think, will be a huge value proposition going forward. Where, where's the customer base kind of geographically? Are you operating in North America only or have you touched into the European market yet? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So at the moment, we're really solely focused on penetration within the U.S., but naturally, as we start to strategically grow our customer base and the larger enterprise clients naturally own assets globally. So we do intend to expand across Canada and Europe in short order. Yeah. And actually, that's that's really why I was asking the question, because, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, real estate is something that ha has always had geographic borders, but money doesn't. Capital yeah. doesn't. And, and we've really experienced that over the past kind of decade and a half. Um, so, uh, you know, what, we, what we've what seen, for example, with uh, PropTech startups in Ireland, Ireland's a very small country. So actually, one of the differences, I think, with the startup in Ireland, as opposed to other countries, is that they are primed for start, for export from day one, you know, because there is never a market uh, or there usually isn't a market big enough um, on the island of Ireland. So you're priming for, for export straight away. And actually, one of the things, one of the routes to export that is proven most successful is when you go with a client. So, for example, we've in developers in Ireland, while Ireland is a small country, we have some world class developers, ones that are that are um, recognized as being leaders, not just in the UK and across Europe, but actually um, in, in some cases in North America, but also across some of the Asian markets. So is that a strategy that you might use when you're looking at expanding outside of the US? Will you be able to do that? Because I assume you're dealing with clients today who have assets internationally. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that will be the biggest driving force for our expansion globally. We're about to start a pilot with a very large global owner operator. And naturally, we want to be able to service their entire team. Um, and so we've built into our code, obviously, units and metrics that, um, <clears throat> that are applicable for European assets. And so I do think this will be very um, customer driven. But as you can imagine, as you're growing, you know, a small te technology company, it is important to stay 
um, strategic and nimble in the early days so that you can, in fact, make sure that your technology is driving value for your customers um, and that everything that, um, that you're building actually does what you say you're going to do before, in fact, you start to expand globally. That's a really interesting point. And it's one maybe that startups tend to gloss over because they have to, you know, there's an element of smoke and mirrors that you have to, you have to move forward and trust in your technology and trust in your team. So it is a little bit like building the rail tracks as, as the train is moving. And that's part of being in a startup, you know, and you mentioned it there in terms of being nimble and strategic and, and sometimes they can be two competing they can be two competing um, objectives. So to be strategic, you can lose a bit of the nimbleness that, that gives the startup its strength. So uh, may I ask, what are the plans for Raccord over the next 12 months? Can you share a little of what's in your pipeline and some of yeah. your ambitions? Yeah, well, I mean, one thing I would um, I would mention just to, to one of your earlier points is, you know, I think we're seeing um, the disadvantages to growth at all costs right? That's playing out in the marketplace today. So mm. I do think part of, you know, being successful in the long term and building a long term sustainable organization is just making sure that you are in fact strategic in your growth. Um, one thing we've focused on um, significantly is, you know, our data sync mechanism, which is very unique to record, which allows us to sync and process our customers data to the cloud um, and push it back into their mobile application. And, and that process naturally is applicable globally. So that's, you know, that's something that we've stayed focused on. Um, and so we're really excited. You know, I think for us, it's, you know, staying um, close to our customers and making sure that we are customer obsessed um, is something that's really important to us. And, and so as we've kind of collated customer feedback and started to incorporate that into development, I think that's really helped us drive business value for our current and prospective investors. And we're in the process now of develop, developing our web application, because um, as you can imagine, we're fairly limited with the surface area on the mobile. And so what we've done is we've taken, you know, the features and functionality that exist in the mobile application, um, put that onto a desktop and then created some really interesting functionality um, that also is very unique to record. And so, you know, within the next 12 months, we intend to expand our team um, and also make sure that, you know, we're delivering that web application. And of course, you know, we continue to expand our customer base as well. Um for for you know certainly we know that we're in interesting times looking at the data so i would imagine that many of your early customers are probably already leaders in this space but say for others for others who you know maybe it resonates with them that actually they are collecting a lot of data that they're sitting on and they don't know how to action what are some immediate steps or what's some initial advice that you could give them to get started they can give us a call. We'd be happy to guide them through that kind of, you know, we've always said that um, commercial real estate is being pushed through um, technological disruption. And so we're more than happy to provide guidance in the early days as people start to think thoroughly through kind of their data strategies internally. You're right. They're being pushed. How, mm -hmm. how can we turn that into a pull? How can we make that more compelling? Yeah, I mean, I think... <clears throat> I think that we, you know, like everything, we just, we need more time and more education on the critical role that data plays um, in driving business value. Very good. Okay, that's, a, that's a, a great starting point for anybody who does want to reach out to yourself and to the record team. 
Um, that, thank you so much for joining us today. That's all we have time for. That was uh, Bonnie Murray, founder of Record. Uh, my thanks to producer, show producer Katie Talon and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. Before we go, just a special word of thanks to our sponsor, PropTech Ireland, the hub for innovators, investors and industry leaders in Ireland. Um, thank you for making this podcast and these conversations possible. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the PropTech Hot Seat here on iProperty Radio. Thank you for listening.